This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand many of our listeners may not agree with all of our viewpoints. However, we hope you can bear with us in order to hear unadulterated true crime cases. We are not licensed therapists, nor are we able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source material included for each episode. Now let's get weird. Welcome back to another episode of All the Sins Worldwide. I'm Mims and I'm here with Jess and we are so excited to jump back into sharing some really crazy, unheard of, or maybe we have heard of these cases, but we just have our own spin on it. All right. So on previous episodes of All the Sins Worldwide, we've talked a lot about 15-year-old Zachary Davis, who killed his mother back in 2012. So I'm going to talk about him today. So just so you know, like I had said previously, this crime involves children. Um, Not only Zachary, but also his 16-year-old brother. So there are multiple children involved in this. So I'm just going to let everybody know that now before we start. Okay. So Zachary Davis was a quiet boy who had a history of mental illness throughout his life. His father had died from ALS in 2007 when Zach was only nine, and that really sent him down into a downward spiral with his mental health, especially like, you know, especially when you lose a parent, like that can really affect you mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. Oh my gosh. Um, He had claimed to hear voices in his head, particularly the voice of his late father, and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and depressive disorder. And this is all when he's nine years old. The depression that Zachary was experiencing was considered normal by psychologists. Mm -hmm. And while he did experience the first two stages common with the bereavement process, he didn't really make it to the third stage of recovery. So he had the depression and he had kind of like that phase where he's like, did this really happen? Mm -hmm. Like, I can't really imagine it being real but he never got to the recovery stage of things. It's believed that the reason that this happened was because his mother might have taken him out of therapy too soon before he was ready. Okay. So instead of continuing with therapy, the family moved to Sumner County, Tennessee instead. And Zachary's mother, Melanie, she was a paralegal and often participated in triathlons. So she was very active in her job. She was very active in like outside of work activities. And she really did her best to move on from her husband's death and keep her children happy. So after some years had passed, um, by the time that Zachary decided to kill his mother, he was about 15 years old and his older brother, Josh, was about 16. Zachary was considered an outcast among his peers as well. Uh, He often spoke in a very low monotone whisper. He'd wear the same hoodie all the time. And he had apps on his phone about serial killers And then there was one app that he had that kind of went over various torture devices, which was like super, super weird when I saw that. I'm like, this 15-year-old kid has apps on his phone that are just like exposing him to major, major dark stuff, especially after going through 
the death of his father. Right. Like moving away and already kind of being a withdrawn and shy person. Like, and that just doesn't add to it. No, these are a lot of red flags, you know, like if maybe if it was just like, he's antisocial and then that was it. Sure. Then Mm -hmm. that's normal. But these things pile on and create the, the red flags list to be a little bit alarming. And what made it worse, too, is he had a lot of notebooks with a lot of disturbing things written down in them. Not the notebooks. Yeah, it's always those notebooks. Yeah. And one of the most notable ones that he had written down was, quote, you can't spell slaughter without laughter. No, no. So. No. The biggest one that I had found was that one. That gives me chills. Yeah, it resonated very negatively with me when I read that. I'm like, yeah. and then when I looked back at the word, I was like, oh my gosh, he's right. Like, right. That- you can't unsee it now. Mm-mm. I know I can't. Like, I'm looking at, like, every time I look at that word now, it just makes no. me think, oh my gosh, why did you have to point that out? Right. Um, He was very big into like horror novels, like his favorite book was Misery by Stephen King. So he read a lot of those kind of in his free time. So he had a lot of different things, a lot of different violent things being exposed to him, disturbing things that he had written down in his notebooks and everything. So you like you were saying, he's got a lot of red flags going on. Right. And side note, Misery, the book, the movie, excellent. Like I don't judge him at, at all for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, those are those are good like Kathy Bates did really really good let's just talk about how great she was and she just killed it (laughs) Kathy Bates always kills it literally and figuratively (laughs) I had to throw that in there (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay so moving forward to August 10th of 2012 um, Zachary his mother and his brother Josh went to go see a movie together um and when they came back, Zachary packed a backpack and a satchel with various items. So he put clothes in there, his notebooks, a toothbrush, gloves, a ski mask, and a claw hammer. No. And his mother went to bed around nine o'clock that night. And once he knew that she had went to bed, he went into the garage and grabbed a sledgehammer from the garage and went into his mother's room. And when he knew that she was fast asleep, he bludgeoned her to death with the sledgehammer, striking her nearly 20 times. As if this woman has not gone through enough in her life. Like, what did she ever do? (laughs) Yeah, and it's crazy, too, because in everything that I had read, she tried really, really hard to make sure that her kids were happy. And she was, you know, she thought she was a good mom. She was trying to take care of them. She was trying to help them move on from their father's death as well as she could really. Right. And after he made sure that she was dead, he went into the family's game room, took some whiskey and gasoline and drenched everything in that room with it and then set it on fire. So the house is starting to go up in flames and he shuts the door to that game room to kind of like contain it almost. Okay. And he fled the house. So he's gone and his brother is still in the house. He's sleeping. So the 16 year old brother's in the house still. But what was lucky for him was because that door was closed, 
he was able to get woken up by the fire alarm and notice that there was a fire and that he could get out. He did try to go into his mother's room to wake her up to get her out of the house though, but that's when he came in and saw her body just like totally bloodied and bludgeoned. And Oh my gosh. So like, I c- you can't even imagine like a 16 year old waking up, finding out there's a fire in the house. His mother is absolutely just destroyed and his brother's gone. Right. So there's all these things running through your head all at once. Like, there's all so many things happening right now. Like, what do I do? So Josh did escape the fire and he ran out to a neighbor's house where he called 911. He told them that he didn't feel anything when he killed his mother. Like he felt nothing. Uh, Just no remorse, nothing. And in a videotape confession that was collected after he was arrested, Zachary explained how the disembodied voice of his father told him to kill his mother. So it's like a lot of connecting things from the death of his father kind of playing into this. So if you really think back on it, like that could have been a big key thing in how everything turned around for him mentally and really started going down that dark descent. Absolutely. Um, When a detective asked him if he would still carry out the attack, if he could go back in time, Zachary said that, quote, he would probably kill Josh with a sledgehammer too. No, no. Instead of the fire tactic, he would go back and do the sledgehammer on his brother. Oh, man. And when he was presented with pictures of his mother's uh, blood-soaked body, he showed no remorse for that either. These are the type of people that really, really scare me because they Mm -hmm. are like capable of anything because they don't have what you and I have of consequences and guilt and you could you can't live with yourself after doing something like small like you know stealing a piece of gum at the at the grocery store you know Mm -hmm. and (laughs) these people live their lives doing heinous crimes don't even like bat an eye at it like they just move on with their it's just like another day to them yeah that's what I don't understand if there's something small that I do Mm -hmm. I feel really bad about it right but like can you imagine like literally hitting your mother in the head with a sledgehammer 20 times and feel nothing I don't even get along with my mother and I would still feel crazy guilty and awful and just sick so like yes that that doesn't even resonate with me when asked about why he chose a sledgehammer for the murder weapon like why he used the sledgehammer he said it was because quote he was worried that he'd miss and that the sledgehammer quote gave him the highest chance of killing her Uh, like you don't want to hear that from people like that's just Mm -hmm. No, no. And going back to what I had mentioned at the start, he was actually interviewed by Dr. Phil uh, two months before his trial had started. And if you go on YouTube and watch the clips of this interview, it is absolutely bone-chillingly sketchy. I'm going to watch it right after this because I am so intrigued and I need to see what he looks like, and how he responds to being questioned about it. Mm -hmm. He speaks in a very low, monotone voice the whole time. 
again, showing no remorse for anything that he did. And he even laughs when he describes how large and heavy the sledgehammer was Oh my God. and how the sound of the sledgehammer made when he, when it connected with his mother's head. So he actually laughed about some stuff in there. How could Dr. Phil or anybody just sit across and like make this a show? Like, I don't get it. I would be like, I got to get out of here. I can't be in the same room with this person. I would hightail it and run if it was me. <laughs> yeah. Be like, nope, I am not sitting in this room anymore. I am no. out of here. So yeah. I would just run. But like I had said, you can see clips of that on YouTube. It's super, super sketchy. And just watching it just made me like incredibly uncomfortable. So if you want to kind of see what I'm talking about with the monotone and the no remorse and all of that kind of creepy stuff, go check it out. He was interviewed by Dr. Phil and it was very creepy. <clears throat> I'm just going to take one drink. Yep, no problem. Take your time. I'm just muting myself for whenever, um, like I'm not talking, so it can't pick up background noise. So if you see that, that's what I'm doing. I should have thought of that. No, that's totally okay. <laughs> no worries. Okay. Um. Okay. So two months after that interview is when the trial started, and at one point. Zachary tried to blame the murder on his brother, Josh, which was crazy that he tried to blame him. And this shocked his defense attorney. Oh my God. Yeah. The defense attorney was just trying to get a more lenient prison sentence for Zachary. Like he wasn't trying to get him out completely. He was just trying to get him a more lenient sentence, but he's like, dude, trying to pin this on your brother now is not helping your case. It's honestly just making it worse. Yeah, like you can't tell people, oh, I don't feel anything towards it, and then try to shift the blame to somebody else. Like, Mm -hmm. you got to take ownership, especially when you say, oh, I don't feel anything towards it. Like, I killed my own mom, and I would go back and kill my own brother. Like, okay, then own that then, because you clearly did that. (laughs) Yeah, and the defense attorney openly admitted that Zachary killed his mother, like in the courtroom, in front of the jury, in front of the judge. So they all pretty much knew like you're guilty, but then he just went back and tried to blame it on his brother. So then they're all like, dude, you're making it worse for yourself. Just sit down and shut up. Yeah. It's hard being an attorney for the defense, especially when they have their own way I mean, you could just see it with like Ted Bundy. He's like, fuck you. I'm going to represent myself. But I'd be like, you know mm-hmm. what? You do that guy. <laughs> we'll see how well that goes for you. Yeah. <laughs> Judge D. David Gay, who presided over the case, had stated in court, quote, you became evil, Mr. Davis. You went to the dark side. It's that plain and simple, end quote, which kind of reminds me of what the judge had said to Ted Bundy when he was in court. It's kind of the same kind of concept and so when I thought of that I was like you're being compared to Ted Bundy right now one of the most notorious serial killers ever so that's that's not a flex no (laughs) far from a flex yeah (laughs) while it was clear that Zachary had premeditated his mother's murder it was also apparent that he was also deeply unwell 
like going back when you hear all of the stuff that we were just talking about, you can tell that this dude is like not well in the head, especially with all the trauma that he experienced with his father's death. So that was huge. There were people who were actually trying to show compassion for Zachary because of all of that. Um, Dr. Phil was one of them. Um, he had stated, quote, when I look in your eyes, I don't see evil. I see lost, end quote. Mm. And Zachary's paternal grandmother tried to appeal to his severe mental illness and lack of help he was given mm. for trying to get like more of a lenient sentence. And she had said, quote, every teacher, every guidance counselor should have to stand trial with Zach. Zach is not a monster. He's a child who's made a horrible mistake, end quote. Mm, that's a stretch. That is a huge stretch. That is not a horrible mistake. That is a horrible decision that was made. Mm -hmm. no. Exactly. Like he, he thought of that. He, if he had kind of that, like when they came back from that movie and he had packed all that stuff in a backpack and mm -hmm. was kind of getting all of that ready, like that kind of seems premeditated to me. Yeah, Like he was getting ready to do what he was going to do because right. when he finished, he tried to burn the house down and leave. Right. So he very much could have been trying to run away. So, and if he had that stuff kind of thought out before he actually did the deed at all, that definitely screams premeditated to me. Yeah, I happen to agree with you. She had also said during the trial that if Zachary had gotten the proper medical attention, quote, this never would have happened. So if he would have gotten the right amount of therapy after his father's death and went through the grieving process correctly and thoroughly into the recovery process, like things would have gone totally different is what she's saying. Like maybe this wouldn't have happened at all if he was able to go through the full process of bereavement and do the recovery and be able to grieve properly. Like maybe he would have been different, but not a whole lot of people really believe that. Yeah, it's hard to to try to think of different things that would happen if different actions were taken if you live your life living that way you, you know just well if this were to have happened or this would have happened like we would just be living in a world of ifs and it's just mm -hmm. oh man I I know a lot of people that have gone through really traumatic experiences losing a parent um, losing somebody that's close to you and their own personal things that adds fuel to whatever was going on with him. But a lot of people that have schizophrenia do not commit murder. They don't commit heinous crimes. So yes, he could have gone more therapy. Everybody, in my opinion, deserves to go to therapy. Everybody needs to work out a, a lot of things that we've been through, whether, you know, on a small scale to a big scale. But you can see people that have schizophrenia and never commit something like this or have mm -hmm. gone through really traumatic experience and never do something like this. So it's individual, yeah. in my opinion. Definitely. Like I've known people in my life who've literally cannot catch a break with the amount of traumatic things that they experience and they still mm -hmm. would not do something like this. Right, right. Like, and the psychiatrist that first diagnosed Zachary testified in court that his judgment was driven by his psychosis. So like you were saying about like the schizophrenia and like psychosis and everything, um, because, and because of his mental illness, he couldn't have possibly premeditated the murders. So there are some people that are saying like, 
not guilty by reason of insanity kind of plea, Mm -hmm. or you have the other side that's doing the first degree murder charges. So, you know, you got two different sides of the coin here. Right. So you have people advocating for an insanity plea. People are like, this was premeditated murder. Right. And ultimately the sentence that was given to him was 71 years in prison to be served concurrently for first degree murder, attempted first degree murder of his brother, Josh and aggravated arson for setting the house on fire. Yeah. So he is currently still in prison right now. He's about 26 years old now and he's been kind of in and out of trouble in prison. So he's not necessarily doing the hottest in there either with Mm -hmm. any kind of rehabilitation or anything. Right. So that is where he is right now. And that is the story of Zachary Davis, our first child killer on our show. Wow. What a, you did a great job and what a case. Thank you. And like I said a couple of times, highly recommend checking out those clips of Dr. Phil's interview on YouTube. It's interesting just to kind of see the lack of emotion, the lack of remorse or anything on his face here in his voice, in his body language. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm sure it will. And we can put that in the show notes too Mm -hmm. um, for people to have like quick access to it because I, you know me, I'm going to jump right on YouTube after this and go watch it. (laughs) (laughs) And the sources that I got all of my information from is from allthatsinteresting.com and the Tennessean, which is the online newspaper for Sumner County over in Tennessee, and as well as the Dr. Phil interview. Like I said, great job. Thanks for covering our first uh, kid case. Yeah, these ones always fascinate me. I always feel like they're just a different breed <laughs> mm-hmm. of, of yeah. a case. And if you think about it too, like when you're thinking of killer children nowadays a lot of them a lot of them get directed to school shooters yeah it's like right now nowadays like that's the biggest thing that you hear with children committing crimes like this right oh and, that's a whole other beast oh gosh yeah you know you got like dylan klebold and eric harris with columbine and then you have the the parkland shooter and you have you know you know there's so many of them yeah unfortunately and, and they're all just these young kids. And it's it's just crazy how things just keep developing like that. It's sad. It's sickening. It's scary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like a whole lot of mixed feelings with that. Like it almost makes you kind of walk around and you're like, you never know who's going to be the killer. You never know who's going to be the one to snap. It could be the cute old lady over on this park bench. It could be this six-year-old in five years you know right you can never really know anymore I've always had like that morbid a way of thinking of like I know especially when I'm in crowds I'm like I know there's one freak among us in this (laughs) crowd there's always one yeah there's always that one person that I should be on the lookout for so Mm -hmm. and not not that this is the way that you should live your life it's just me and my paranoia (laughs) no i get that i get that too we are glad that you have stuck around for this episode next week i will be covering a new case and for all of you 
uh, that are interested in cult cases, I will be covering a cult episode next week. So I hope that you guys tune in uh, on next week's episode. (laughs) All the Sins Worldwide was written, recorded, edited, and produced by our co-hosts and creators, Jess and Mims. We truly want to thank our listeners, collaborators, friends, and family that continuously support us and for all the love we receive. If you enjoy our show, please give us a glowing review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we're up to. And email us your sinner tales at allthesinsworldwide at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins Worldwide are available wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure to subscribe and like us on your favorite streaming platform.